Hi, my name is Carly and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message. Good morning, Risers. How you guys doing? What is up? If we've never had the privilege of meeting, my name is Brent, and I'm the lead pastor here at Arise, and we are so glad that you're here. I look forward to meeting you this morning if we've never met, my wife and I, and we're going to continue to experience God together today. At the end of the day, we want God's presence in our midst, and if we have that, we have nothing. That's one of our core values, but it's not just a core value. It's who we are. And so I want God to be in our midst in such a way that lives are changed, healed, restored, physically healed, emotionally healed, uh, spiritually healed, obviously, uh, in our presence every time we meet together. Are y'all with me this morning? Amen. Amen. I also want to celebrate as we get started. That's a normal custom of ours. And uh, our young adults group is just killing it right now. Brandon and Nicole Holmes and a lot of energy and excitement as they're getting together all the time. This is one of their last pictures from when they were together and uh, just super proud of them. And if you're a young adult, like, like I don't know, high, like you graduated high school up to like 30, somewhere in that ballpark. If you're over 30, you're old now. Let that sink in. But, uh, you know, at least you're not young. I don't know. At least you're not young. And uh, so uh, hook up with them. Uh, you can find them on Facebook. You can find, uh, if you get with Pastor Mike or Christina or myself or any of us, uh, we can help connect you with Brandon and Nicole. Jump in with them. They got a great Thanksgiving thing coming up as well that's going to be a blast. Now, with that being said, um, we start a new series today called Throwing Shade. Anybody seen any th- shade being thrown? Anybody not know what that means? I've had to explain this to a few people. Okay, let me explain this to you. Throwing shade basically means talking negatively about somebody or putting them down. So you're throwing them into the dark, okay? For everybody that didn't know what that meant, uh, that's uh, our, our India campus. You guys know we have an India campus. Uh, India campus pastor came to me uh, privately last week, and we've been planning all this, you know, for a, a few weeks now. And he comes to me and he said, what, what, is, what is throwing shade? And I said, all right, if you don't know, there's other people that don't know too. So, uh, but there's a lot of shade being thrown. In fact, everywhere we look right now, there is conflict, right? Uh, not only do you have your normal conflict that you would always have, conflict with like, you know, you and your spouse, that would be normal. Uh, conflict with you and your kids, you and your coworkers, different relationships, different friendship conflicts that you would normally have. Those things are kind of normal to life, but we happen to be in a political season. Has anybody noticed that? Uh, And so you have political conflict that's probably greater than it has been, at least for a long time in the United States of America, and people hating on each other and throwing shade on each other through that time period, as well as as if we couldn't make a perfect recipe for a fire to blaze, as well as we are about to enter the holiday season, or really already have, I guess, but the holiday season, and you're about to have Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas dinners uh, with people that you don't see very often, those loving family members that you love but sometimes don't want to sit next to, those loving family members that have their own political views and their own ideas that love to share them at the dinner table with you. They don't know how to zip their lip and be quiet. Like, like uh, you know, everybody has that Uncle Rico kind of person, right? Like I was with somebody in my family not all that long ago and, and I was on a trip and, and I was with them in their house and, and uh, I was hearing them talk incessantly for several hours until I was like, enough is enough. I knew it made no sense to argue with them. It wasn't going to go anywhere. This person was my senior. It wasn't going to go anywhere. And so after, after we, had, we had just had a big breakfast, but after a little while, I'm like, all right, we need to find lunch. Anybody want to go to lunch with me? Like, I just need to find a place somewhere that's not here. Anybody been with me, right? And so you end up with this recipe for an explosion. Um, it's like throwing gas onto a fire. It, when, when we... Um, 
Aiden and I moved into a new house about a year ago, just over a year ago now. And the new house has a barbecue grill that's built into the back, like on the back porch is built in. I've never had anything like that. I've always had a barbecue grill that, you know, was either charcoal or propane, but you just turn a little bottle on and it comes up. Well, it's built into it, which means there's a big, bar- the big propane tank. And so the first time that I, that I lit it, the first time I used it, I, you know, I turned it on just like I always would anything else. And it literally like blew up in my face. Anybody been there? So like, I mean, singed my eyebrows. That's the reason I don't have any hair today. That's not true, but if I had hair, it would have singed it. It's literally singed my beard and my, my eyebrows and scared the tarnations out of me, just to be honest with you. You know, you hit the little igniter thing, and poof. So now every time I turn it on, every time I turn it on, there's a certain way I do it now to try to make sure that doesn't happen. But every once in a while, it still happens. So every time I turn it on, like this is me, like I squat down in front of it and I'm hitting the igniter button. So if it erupts, it's going over my head, right? And so I'm like, and it just, oh, it came on nice. Or poof goes over. I'm safe. Anybody feel like that in the holiday season? Like you're sitting at dinner table going, can I say this? If I say this, is it about to erupt? If they say this, is it about to erupt? How do I keep this person and this person friendly with each other without them killing each other at our Thanksgiving meal? And you're not just eating the turkey, you're eating each other. Come on, y'all. And so you end up walking with this incredible trepidation. And that's really, really what we're seeing in our world right now. That's why we have to have a series like this. This is a recipe for disaster and conversational explosions, outrage and anger. And so we need to have some biblical principles of how uh, we can handle conflict well. And that's really what today's message in the series is about, is handling conflict well. I want to start with this really big question. We'll ask it again at the end, but really big question. What's the difference between the way you handle conflict and the way an atheist handles conflict? Let that sink in for a second. An atheist being somebody who does not believe in God, I would argue that there should be a difference in your life and their life, not that they're a bad person by any means. That's not what I'm associating with. I'm just simply saying, because you say I follow Jesus, and because you say I'm trying to put his principles into my life, there should be a difference in the way that you handle conflict and the way they handle conflict. Can we all agree with that? However, what I have discovered is oftentimes there is not a difference in the way you handle conflict and I handle conflict and the way an atheist handles conflict. There's different extremes. And so uh, maybe a great example of this is uh, a few years ago, Ada and I were in Ireland. And uh, on this trip, we go to this place called St. Brendan's Well. Now, this is really cool to me. St. Brendan is the patron saint of sailors and navigators. In fact, some people call him Brendan the Navigator. They argue that St. Brendan actually went from Ireland to the New World before the New World was ever discovered. This is like fifth century stuff. And he went all the way to the New World and, and shared the gospel. Now, nobody knows that. It's, it's legend. But that's what they say about St. Brendan. And so Ada and I are on this journey and we're looking around and finding all these cool things. And Ireland has all kinds of cool church history there with St. Patrick bringing the gospel and, and all these neat stories. And, and I stumble across this idea of Brendan the Navigator, Ada and I did. And, uh, and I heard this quote, he said, help me journey beyond the familiar into the unknown. I'm like, yes, I love that guy already. I love St. Brendan. Let's go find this guy. And so we're out there and we're on this island, kind of in the middle of nowhere in Ireland. In fact, an island right off of this is where one of the Star Wars was filmed. Yep. Fun fact. And so we're on this place and, and, and we're like, all right, we want to see. It's, it's a well where he baptized people when he first got to the island. And, and there's a couple other saints that are buried locally that, that are also, it's, you know, it's 1500 years ago and such. And so, 
And so we're looking for this place and there's not a whole lot of markers, but we're driving down this road and we see it and there's a marker and we see it, it's way down. It's about a quarter mile off of the main road on this, this, this muddy, dirty, if you've ever been to Ireland, the grass is two feet tall trail, uh, dirt road that, that goes down there. Now, uh, when we got to Ireland, we rented a car. It was like a Pagot or whatever you call those things. It's the equivalent of like a Volkswagen Jetta or something we were driving. It's not a four by four. It's important for this story. And so we pull down and, and get next to where this road goes down, like say a quarter mile or so, you get to this wonderful picture that we took. <laughs> and we get, get there and, and we start to go down the road and we realize that for one, it's a car and it's not made for this and it's very muddy, very wet, very dirty. And Ada says, why don't we get out and walk? We don't have to worry about getting car stuck. That makes sense to some of you. I like to keep my shoes clean. Some of you know all about my shoe fetish. I don't want, and I'm not wearing boots. I'm not wearing like, you know, boots to get all muddy. And you're looking at this going, it's muddy. And I'm going, no, I'm pretty sure the car can take it. We can make it. So we start going and the car's bottoming out and I'm flooring it. And, and we go and we're getting all the way there. And we made it all the way there, right? So we make it into the quarter mile. We make it all the way there. And we're like, yes, we made it. And we stop the car and we get out and we take these pictures. And all of these are pictures we actually took from, from right there at St. Brendan's Well in the middle of nowhere. Like you don't have any cell phone service. You are nowhere in Ireland at this point, way off on the coast. And so then we decide to turn around and go back. It was a little easier getting there than getting back. And I don't know who rented the car after us, but I do feel sorry for them a little bit because there was enough dirt and crud in the springs of that poor little car. Uh, we start going back and it bottoms out and gets stuck. And so then Ada's, you know, pushing or, or you know, uh, trying to push the gas while I'm behind it, trying to push it, trying to find any rocks because rocks grow like potatoes there. And so trying to find any rocks you can shove under the tires. I thought for sure we were going to be stranded there for like a week because again, you don't have a self-service. I mean, it was miles away from anything. And, uh, and so I thought for sure we we're going to be stranded there. Finally get it out of there. Finally get it going. And once it gets going, all the guys know I am not stopping for anything, right? It's like once those tires start spinning, floor it, and I am getting out of there. And we finally eventually made it out. And uh, I'm like, we have got to find a car wash or something because this thing was covered in mud. It looked like a mud truck, except it's the equivalent of a Volkswagen Jetta. And, uh, and, I, and I say all that to say, that is a picture of the way that people handle conflict. When it comes to conflict, there are some people that look at it and go, nope, I think we need to take a very tender approach. We need to get out of the car. We need to walk towards this. We need to do the easy thing. We need to make sure we don't cause waves. There's other people that are more like me, and you're like, let's go after it. Let's do it. Come on, bring it on. Yeah, yeah, we can handle this. And somewhere along the way, you end up destroying everything, ruining things. The shoes that I were trying to keep clean were nowhere near clean by the time we actually made it back. Are y'all with me this morning? And so you end up with these different types of people and you, you really get this, you know, there, there, there's some people that are, that are fight or flight, right? There's, they run towards conflict. There's other people that want to run away from it. And so people usually want to either escape conflict, they want to attack conflict, or there's a few, there's a few of us that are called to a different standard that will do things differently that are called to be peacemakers, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Have you noticed our world could use some peacemakers? Your Thanksgiving, your Christmas could use some peacemakers in the family. Those who are not running from conflict or running into conflict, but those who are taking a proper approach and bringing healing to situations. And so we want to really unpack this today and talk about what it means to be 
a peacemaker? How do we stop throwing shade? I'm going to use two primary scriptures today. Uh, The first one's Matthew 7. The next one will be James 4. But Matthew 7, we're going to read verses 3 through 5. This is, again, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, written by Matthew, who is a disciple of Jesus. He was a tax collector turned follower of Jesus, who starts to dictate and scribe out the life of Jesus that becomes a biography that we now have as our first book of the New Testament. And he is writing out, as he recalls it, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. In fact, one day I plan to do a series and call it the greatest sermon you've ever heard. People will think I'm being vain, but it's really going to be about the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, he begins to describe this out. And towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he comes with this right here. So this is Jesus talking. And he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? (laughs) Let that sink in. We could just end right now. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Somebody say, ouch. So when conflicts happens, we need to, and this is what Jesus is teaching, examine ourselves first. There's a pandemic that's going on around the United States today that's causing conflict, that's causing people to dislike each other, that's causing frustration, uh, that's causing people to lose jobs, lose money, make dumb decisions. The, con- the, the, the pandemic is not COVID. The pandemic is something that I would refer to as plank eye. Plank eye causes you to lose friendships. It causes you to act the fool. It causes you to say the stupidest things that you would never normally ever want to say. And it causes you... This pandemic ends up hurting you, and you don't have a clear picture of what the world really looks like because you have a plank that's stuck in your own eye while you're trying to get something out of somebody else's eye. And that's what Jesus is teaching right here, that if you really want to get it started, if you really want to be a peacemaker, it starts with you dealing with yourself before you're trying to deal with everybody else. But most of us don't do a very good job of that. Why? Because it's not about me, it's about you. It's not my problem, it's your problem. You're the problem, I'm the answer. I have it together, you are jacked up. Come on, you may not use those words, but you've all seen it. It's their fault, they're lazy. You know, those, those, those lazy millennials. Oh, well, those old grumpy boomers, come on. And it's always somebody else, right? They're just dumb, they're just like sheep. Those people are crazy, those are a bunch of socialists. It's always them, it's never actually focusing on us first, which is what Jesus is teaching us, is that we need to examine ourselves before we start examining everybody else. We need to take responsibility for ourselves, our own hearts, before we start focusing on everybody else. When you do that, when you examine yourself first, you can actually heal conflict before it gets to the final result. Uh, When you start focusing on yourself first, other people usually follow in suit with that. Uh, There's something, we've all heard of the, the golden rule, but there's also something referred to as the golden result. The golden result basically says that as you treat others, usually they'll treat you the same way. Now, that's not 100% true, and it's not like a biblical fact. It's just psychology, but it is true that the vast majority of the time, if you are graceful to someone else, they'll be graceful to you. If you're loving towards someone else, they'll be loving to you. If you call them names, they're going to call you names. If you throw shade, they're going to throw shade back. Are you all with me? That is very common in the way people respond, which means, check this, if you look at yourself first, It'll cause them to look at themselves. 
The stronger person has to look at their own sin, their own shortcomings, their own problems. Even if their part is 1% of the 99, they look at themselves, they take responsibility for it, asking forgiveness. And it's not 100% true, but commonly the other person will follow suit. I think of, I heard the story of this guy that worked a job and he was really mistreated at his job and, and, and starts planning vengeance and he's mad as all get out. He's frustrated. He's losing sleep over this job and frustrated with these people that he's worked with because they have treated him poorly and talked bad about him behind his back. And, and sure enough, they call a, a meeting. And so he's ready to go to this meeting with these people. And he is walking in half cocked is the way it used to be said. He's walking in ready to punch somebody in the face, ready to yell at him, tell them they all need to resign. They all need to back down. They, you know, he's frustrated with every one of them. And he sits down at the meeting, the board meeting table, and all of the other people one at a time say, hey, I'm sorry. I realized that I've treated you poorly. I've realized that I haven't done this right to you, that the company hasn't treated you right. And you watch the person's temper go from up here down to here. Why? Because somebody owned the responsibility of, of them recognizing their own problems first. And all of a sudden that man turned around and said, you know, I haven't handled this right either. And my heart hasn't been right in it either. And all of a sudden peace was made. Conflict was resolved by building a bridge. But don't just take my word for it. Billy Madison proved it many years ago. Watch this clip. Hello. Hi, is this Danny McGrath? Yeah. The Danny McGrath that graduated from Nib High School in 1984? Uh, yeah. Who's this? Um, this is uh, Billy Madison. You probably don't remember me, but I, I went to high school with you. Um, I, I kind of gave you a hard time back then, and I did some things that I thought were funny at the time, but now I realize they were just mean and, and stupid and uh just wanted to apologize and i hope you forgive me yes yeah, sure don't worry about it it's no problem wow well, that's great um well i am sorry and uh maybe we can get together sometime and uh, and have some coffee or something sure i'd like that okay well i'll see you around okay bye what kind of peace you can have when you stop blaming everybody else and you actually take ownership of what you've done wrong. There's no telling who might be planning to kill you right now. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. So the point is that we need to look at our faults before we start looking at everybody else. Well, how do we do that? First of all, we need to examine our attitudes. Our, not their attitudes, our attitudes. Is this really an issue or is this issue really me? Am I just having a bad day? Have you ever had a bad day and everything just sets you off? And if you're responsible, if you're an adult, you start looking around going, all right, this really isn't their problem. This is me waking up on the wrong side of the bed. This is me letting other people frustrate me. Uh, and that's just not a positive thing. You really got to ask the question, is this worth fighting over? Because sometimes we will fight over the most micro details and argue over things that ultimately don't matter, that we think are important, but they're really not that important at all. And, and it's wise to overlook a minor offense. It's wise to overlook the little petty things and not make them into conflicts. But yet we oftentimes do that. But as Reading Rainbow would say, don't take my word for it because 
Proverbs 19.11 would say, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16 would say, fools show their annoyance at once, (laughs) but the prudent overlook an insult. Proverbs just called some of us fools. Proverbs 17 would say, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. But you're like, oh, that's all Old Testament. Well, how about the New Testament? How about Colossians chapter 3 that says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive them as the Lord forgave you. Or 1 Peter 4 that says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And for the record, there are a bunch more verses I could use about that topic, that maturity and wisdom as a Christian oftentimes means letting go of the silly little things. There are going to be some things you need to hold strong to and fight over. Those are important. But there are most of the things we end up fighting over are silly little things that are causing conflict, and they're just not worth it. And what happens is as we overlook minor offenses, we imitate God's amazing love towards us. Listen to Psalm 103. He says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor anger, his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Do we treat people as their sins deserve? Or repay us according to our iniquities? You see this image all the time in the Bible. In fact, I just mentioned the golden rule before. It's not really a biblical rule necessarily, but do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. You've heard of the golden rule, and I just mentioned it has a golden result. How about this one? There's a greater one that sometimes is referred to as the platinum rule that is biblical, where Jesus looked at his disciples and said, as I have loved you, so love one another. It's higher than the golden rule because you can, you can treat people the way you want them to treat you, but can you treat them the way Jesus has treated you? Let the love of God flow through you. How much conflict would be resolved in our world if we just treated people that way? And we can't wait for the world to respond. We can't wait for them to do it. They're not called to do it. You and I are the salt and light of the world. It's our job to respond in that way. So, so we don't ignore the problem, but we also don't harbor the problem. We don't hang on to the problem. Sometimes there's big things that you, you can't just ignore, you got to deal with, but you also don't turn a, mount, a, a molehill into a mountain, as my mom would say. You also don't make this little thing into something big. Sometimes you do just have to let it go. Let it go. And if you don't believe me, my favorite supervillain of all time, I don't know if he's super or not, but my favorite villain of all time is the bad guy from Meet the Robinsons. They call him the bowler hat guy. Now I got to give you some... Some, some precedence for this before we, some, to, I got to explain this to you before we show the video. So Bowler Hat Guy has a bad day when he's a kid uh, where uh, the, his arch enemy, who becomes his arch enemy in the future, uh, is keeping him up all night and so he can't sleep. And so the next day he's playing baseball and he gets hit with the baseball and his friends come and they beat him up and they're frustrated because he didn't make the catch at the end. And so from that day forward, he starts to harbor this frustration with his friend and, and, and says from that day on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out a way to destroy his life from then on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, so three of you thought it made sense. Hopefully it will. <clears throat> and so... In the movie, they create a time machine and they're going forward and backwards sometimes. But he goes backwards in time. And so the future villain is going to meet his childhood self on the day that everything goes bad. Are you with me? The day that everything goes bad. And he is my favorite supervillain simply because of his advice to himself on the day everything goes bad. Watch this clip. Taurus, get it off! Get it off! 
my stupid roommate. My name's Mikey Gooby and people call me Goob. But today everyone that beat me up called me Puke Face and Butterfingers and Booger Breath. Nice to see that they're branching out. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I was just looking for Lewis. Try the roof. He's always up there being dumb. Of course. Why didn't I think of that? Mr. Steak, you're my only friend. Well, game didn't go so well, huh? No, I fell asleep in the ninth inning, and I missed the winning catch. Then I got beat up. Afterwards, Coach took me aside and told me to let it go. I don't know, he's probably right. No! Everyone will tell you to let it go and move on, but don't. Instead, let it fester and boil inside of you. Take these feelings and lock them away. Let them fuel your actions. Let hate be your ally, and you will be capable of wonderfully horrid things. Heed my words, Goob. Don't let it go. What? That's the worst advice ever! That's how you become a bad guy, right? Don't let it go. Harbor it deep inside. Let these feelings control you, right? Don't let it go. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus says, let it go so that you don't become that person. Because we've all seen somebody that had some stupid offense when they were 20 years old, that 25 years later, they're 45 years old, still not talking to that family member, still not talking to that person, and they don't let the silliest things go. Sometimes maturity is knowing what to fight for and what to just let go. And a lot of what we fight over are things that we really should hold very loosely. So we examine our, our, our thoughts, our words, our, our actions. Secondly, we examine our hearts. Or I'm sorry, our words. We examine our words because our words tell us what's inside of our hearts. Jesus said this. He said, a good man brings up good things from the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings up evil things from the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And if you are a wise person, a wise person's person listens to the words that come out of their mouth and discerns what's going on in their heart. If you have negative, ugly things coming out of your mouth all the time, when we do that, we have to discern that our heart is not right with the person or with God, and we need to make it right. So are our words full of hate and turmoil, or are they full of grace and love? Where are your words? So here's a question for you. When you're dealing with conflict, are you focusing on you or them? Are you focusing on, I got to deal with this first, or they need to deal with it. Because if you are focusing on you first, you probably have a case of plank eye. If you're focusing on them first, you probably have a case of plank eye. And we need to make it right with our own selves first. Sometimes that means humbling ourselves, going to them repentantly, even if they're 99% wrong, owning your part of it, making that right. And then so you can see if they reciprocate. But even if they don't, you're still going to do your part. That's what it means to be a Christian. So let's focus on ourselves first. All right, now, uh, the next two points come from James chapter 4. So real quick, James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from that idiot who called you a name at the, at the grocery store? 
Don't they come from the person that cuts you off on the road? Don't they come from people being rude to you? Don't they come from people calling you names? Don't they come from people mistreating you? Is that what he says? It's not what he says at all. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. (laughs) Number two, if you're taking notes, conflict often starts due to our own evil desires. Conflict starts, this is why you can't have plank eye. Conflict starts in you. It doesn't start in them. We're ones always trying to solve conflict instead of recognizing that it takes two to have conflict. Uh, it's kind of like the child that's in the back seat. Every parent knows this. That's like, stop touching me. Stop touching me. Stop touching me. When do we, ah, and they start fighting in the back seat. And he did this and she did this. And, ah, and, and you know, we handle this different ways. So Ada actually tries to play judge and jury. And she's like, who did what? What did you do? Stop doing that. Brody, how would you like it if Elijah touched you like this? She's doing that. I'm the dad going, just stop. Shut up. Everybody be quiet. Don't make me pull this car over. Anybody with me? Sometimes I think God is looking at us and he's going, it doesn't matter who's right or who wrong, who touched who first. It matters that you are wrong in yourself. Deal with yourself first. The conflict starts in you. And James here is just making application to a principle that we just read from Jesus, also found in Matthew 15, where he says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And he goes on from there, which tells me this, our hearts... Our hearts are the source of our conflicts. It's not somebody else. It's not them. It starts in us. Don't believe me? Have you ever, like, like we've all been here, I think. Have you ever had a really good day? Like, you know, you woke up on the right side of the bed. The shower temperature was the perfect temperature. The toothpaste tasted extra good that morning. You know, your Starbucks coffee or whatever was extra. And you get to the office and the birds are singing. Everything is, is great. Like, it's a good day. And some joker wants to say something stupid or cuts you off on the road or maybe you walk in the office and they say some snide remark. Have you ever been in that place that's like, you ain't ruining my day. I'm having too good of a day. I am not going to let you ruin my good day. I'm just going to ignore it and let, have you ever been there? I'm glad like six, have you ever been there? I hope you've had good days at some point. Why do you do that? Why would you have that moment where you say, I'm not going to let you ruin my good day? It's because the conflict is in you, not of them. Now, the exact opposite. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You're having a frustrating morning. Everything is going wrong. You get a person cutting you off on the road. All this stuff's wrong. And all of a sudden, when you're having a bad day and the conflict's already in yourself, all somebody's got to do is just barely touch it. You know? You know? You, you walk into work and they make one little snide remark and you blow up! Ah! You're like my propane grill. <laughs> you just blow up. And people end up walking on eggshells around you. So here's the thing. If your heart is right, others have a hard time actually creating conflict within you. When your heart is right, when you are at peace, it's actually relatively difficult to find conflict because it takes two. And that's where we need to be. All right, so let me give you real quick the natural progression of conflict. The natural progression of conflict. Number one, it starts with this, I desire. You see this in the book of James. I desire. Now, desires are not wrong. Desires are not bad, although some desires are bad. But in general, desires are not wrong. But desires left unchecked starts coming into a place where you say, I demand. 
I demand. So I start fighting for these things. I demand. So I have this desire, but then it turns into I demand this. The desire might not be wrong, but as soon as you start demanding it of other people, that's where it usually begins to go wrong. And so you start saying things uh, from these unmet desires, things like, things like, I work hard all week. I deserve a little peace and relaxation when I get home. I deserve more appreciation for the long hours I put in at the office. I deserve intimacy in my marriage. I deserve a man who loves me. She's my granddaughter. I deserve to see her more. She may forget who I am. I'm the primary breadwinner in this house. They should be respecting me. He's the pastor and I paid my tithe. He's supposed to be visiting me at the hospital. (laughs) I deserve the promotion. I'm an American. I deserve these certain rights. All of a sudden, your desire for something turned into a demand for something. That's where the conflict really gets going. That demand turns into an I judge. Now I start judging the other people. And when you fail to live up to my demands and my desires, I start to judge them and criticize them. So now because you are not meeting my desire, I start calling you names. I start getting frustrated with you. I start saying ugly things about you or to you speculating on their motives oftentimes is the way that works. And then the ultimate thing, because now you've created an altar, an idol. Now you've created an idol out of your desire. And now it is what's running the show. And the last thing comes to the place where you punish. Because idols always demand a sacrifice. And so now you have to punish somebody. Now, maybe you're not physically going to beat them up or put them over your knee and spank them, but you punish them oftentimes by the things you say. You cut them with the knife of your tongue while you may never cut them with a physical knife, you, with the dirty looks, with the, with the silent treatment, come on somebody, with withdrawal, withdrawal uh, uh, physical affection or, or acting sad, you, you hurt them by acting gloomy. Come on, we've, we've all been in this place, especially if you've been married, where you've been given the silent treatment. The silent treatment is a way of hurting somebody without being quite so aggressive with it. You don't deserve my presence and my talk right now. All the couples are looking at each other. This is awesome. (laughs) I desired this. You didn't give it to me. Now I demanded it. Now I'm judging why you didn't give it to me. So now I'm going to punish you by not talking to you. I'm going to go to my room, be by myself, act gloomy until you come and fix this and start going the right direction. Are y'all with me? How much conflict starts with our desires? So inflicting pain on others is one of the surest signs that a false God is ruling your heart. As soon as we start inflicting pain, and it's not necessarily the physical stuff, it's, it's the emotional stuff, it's the little things. Because most of us in this room, we're not going to beat anybody up or stab anybody or, or break their car windows or, I don't know, some of you might, this is a rise, but hopefully we're working through that. <laughs> but we will still do it nonetheless, we punish All right, as we get ready to close and get ready to wrap up, how can I please God and honor God in this situation? That is a great question to ask. Now that I'm in this, there's got to be a difference between me and an atheist. How do I please God? So how do I do it? Well, if you were to keep reading in the book of James, we'll find that we must tame our desires. We must tame our desires. James chapter four, verse seven through 10 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So how do we do it? We have to tame our desires. It starts with the desire inside of you. Desire may be right or wrong, doesn't matter. But if that desire is 
unchecked, it leads to conflict eventually. So we start by taming our desires. And how do we do it? As we read in James, we continue on. He, first of all, you submit to God. You surrender. You surrender the plank eye over to the Lord. You're surrendering your will and saying, God, you work on me first. And it starts with submit to God or repent. Surrender. Give yourself over to the Lord. Secondly, resist the devil. You resist the devil not by focusing on the devil. You resist the devil by turning and focusing to God. So turn to God. I remember when I was a young believer and I had quoted this verse a million times because I had a, a gazillion temptations. And I resist you, devil. I resist you, devil. And I spent all day talking to the devil about how I was going to resist him and then falling into the very temptation that I said I was resisting because I hadn't grown to the maturity level to realize resisting the devil meant stop talking to the devil, start turning yourself to the Lord, and all of a sudden that temptation can go. So you resist the devil or turn to the Lord. That's what you're seeing right there. You do that through spending time in the word of God and spending time with the Holy Spirit and and time getting to know others in the church that can hold you accountable. But then you enter this place where you come near to God. In other words, ask him for help. How many times do we find ourselves in conflict, but we never actually ask the Lord about it or seek his advice on it or ask for his grace in the situation or his empowerment for how to say the right things and lead the right way? How many times do we need to have Thanksgiving meals together? And before we actually pray at the table, we pray over these kind of scenarios and these kind of things where you're asking God to help. And so we focus on the Lord and ask him to help. Pastor Brad, you can come on up. I got to get done. And so I, I end with this. The last verse of James, as we get done with all of this, says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That last verse that I just read, verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. One of the reasons we have conflict is because we don't humble ourselves before the Lord. We're always trying to get a leg up on somebody. We're always trying to get even. You don't want to get even. You want to get above the person. And you do that by humbling yourself and allowing God to lift you up. See, if you handle conflict God's way, he will lift you up. This is so key. Now, it's hard to do that because you got to take it out of your hands and place it into his. But if you handle conflict the right way in due season, he will lift you up. You don't have to get a leg up. He'll lift you up. So if you handle conflict God's way, he'll lift you up. And, and, And in the modern era, do you realize there's never been a lasting revolution that's ever happened through force? It's never happened, not in our modern era. And you see this even in the United States. You have a person like a Martin Luther King Jr., and a person like Malcolm X. Malcolm X's ideas did not work because they fight through aggression. Martin Luther King fought through humility in the right way. And so you see where one works, one doesn't work. And you see it over and over. Uh, There's a friend of mine from Ghana, Africa. In fact, he'll be um, uh, somewhere, one of our campuses in February next year as we do a Black History Month series that we have planned. Uh, And and, uh, his name is Jacob. Jacob was a president of a bank. I think he was actually vice president of a bank at this time. And they started making some certain rules inside the bank that went against his Christian faith. Uh, things to do with, with homosexuality and different things. And, and Jacob got in this place where it was going to affect his job. He would have to sign off on this basically or not. And he said, I, I can't do this. This is, this is my, my stance. I can't do it. And I remember I was with Jacob when he was making some of these decisions. And, and my temptation in those moments is to fight it. And it's not wrong to fight it. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown and lots of other people would say, go, you got to fight these things. You got to make a set of precedents for the future. It's not wrong to fight it at all. But Jacob had spent time with the Lord and said, I really feel like God's just saying, just leave. He'll take care of me. 
Don't make this, don't turn this into the issue. In his case, he's listening to the voice of God and says, I'm not going to make this an issue. So he just steps down, just resigns, lets it go. You got to know when to let it go. Humbles himself. Says, I'm not going to fight over this one. This is not my battle for this moment. That's what the Lord is speaking to me. As he does that, he ends up getting another job and actually becomes the president of a bank with a significant pay increase at a different bank and steps into this role that the Lord led him to. But he would have never gotten to there had he not chosen to let this one go. And he let it go because that's what the Lord was speaking to him because he's seeking the Lord. So he ends up at a higher position with a higher pay. Now he actually got his doctor. I knew him in school. Now he actually got his doctorate degree. And now he's a full-time college professor. He actually left the bank again. Probably, I would assume, making a lot less money now than he would have made then. Why? Because he's listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in his life. And when he handled conflict the way the Lord was leading him in that moment, God all of a sudden lifted him up in the right season. And he will continue doing that. And he'll continue doing the same thing with you and I. So, I end with this question that we started at. In fact, go ahead and stand up with me if you would. I end with the same question that we started with. What's the difference between the way you handle conflict and the way an atheist handles conflict? I submit to you that there has got to be a difference. It doesn't mean that we have it all together every time and we never make mistakes and we're perfect. That's not what it means. But it does mean because we say we're following Jesus and trying to put his principles into our lives, there's got to be a difference. And at the end of the line, we should be becoming peacemakers in our world, not division makers. Now, there are some divisions that happen. There are some divisions that happen because you stand on the word of God. But there are also a whole lot of divisions that happen because of our own wants and desires and what we fight for. Let those go. Stand on the things that matter. Let the others go. Otherwise, we lose our testimony. So how did, how did Jesus handle conflict? In the greatest conflict in the history of the world, in the history of the universe, sin said that you owed a debt and would destroy you and was coming after you with vengeance. It said that you owed this great debt. Jesus stepped in the way when conflict was there and put himself on a cross for you. Jesus put himself in the way of danger for you. And there's some of you in this room that you will still face that eternal conflict that's coming after you unless you submit yourself to him and say, God, I accept your offering for me. Jesus allows us to come to God because he paid for the conflict with Satan, with the enemy, that you deserved your sin. So if that's you, uh, there's some of you, there's different ones in this room. There's some of you that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And today is a day to accept that. Today is a day to recognize that he stepped into the conflict for you. There's some of you that you've walked away from God, and today is a day to step back into relationship with God. Hey guys, wasn't that such an amazing message? If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow our podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag MyAriseChurch. For more information or to give to this ministry, go to MyAriseChurch.com. I hope to see you guys soon.